Hello and welcome to the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast. I'm Beth Shank, host of the podcast, handing off today to Shanda Demarest, who is interviewing faculty members to discuss the School of Nursing commitment of the Nurses Climate Challenge. Shanda Demarest here with the second episode in the Nurses Climate Challenge School of Nursing Commitment special series. Um, I'm excited to introduce a very enticing, fun, super fun conversation today um, with Dr. Rainey Link and Dr. Andy Nesmith, who are colleagues at the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minnesota. I've known Rainey for a long time. Um, He and I were fellow disciples in our doctoral program uh, at the University of Minnesota with with Teddy Potter. And I taught with him for a couple of years. His husband's made me hummus. Um, so when I learned about some of the incredible work he's doing at the University of St. Thomas, reached out and said, hey, we got to talk, man. Um, right away, he invited his social work educator colleague, uh, Dr. Andy Nesmith, who you'll hear from too. So the three of us spent some time um, talking about, of course, nursing education and social work education and how those disciplines are learning from one another. We talked about um, kind of the history of, of social work. This, is, this was a new topic for me to dig into from sort of this climate realm. And Andy shared how Historically, social work is about social justice, and she was really able to guide us in thinking about how that is expanded to include environmental and climate justice, too. We talked a bit about systems thinking. Um, Rainey shared the basically the foundations of the nursing program that he's teaching in. It is fresh, hot off the press this year. They just brought students in for the very first time. And these folks actually encounter planetary health as a fundamental component of the nursing program in year one. Not only that, it's like in month one of year one. Um, So this, to my knowledge, is kind of the first nursing school to right off the bat bring climate and nursing and planetary health in as a core concept. Um, We spent some time talking about this idea of of a historical focus in of human behavior kind of occurring within a social environment, both for nursing and social work, and how we need to transmit sort of transition our thinking um, into this concept of humans in a natural environment. We talked about principles of nature and the ecology of life. And we also got into some of the shared barriers and challenges for bringing climate into the nursing and social work education space. And Andy shared something that really resonated with me, especially as we've all thought about why is this so hard for nursing educators to bring into the classroom, et cetera. Um, But Andy shared how social work faculty that she has encountered have just expressed not having enough information or feeling like they don't have enough information or expertise or preparation to teach about climate. Um, Rainey really centered us on importance of place. We got into solastalgia. And here's a concept that really stuck with me. The further away other beings are from us, 
the less we care. So together we talked about what it means to be a caregiver in this day and age, in this natural environment. How do we shift from this idea of anthropocentrism to ecocentrism? How do we build gratitude for every living being? How do we foster radical empathy? So it was a very rich chat. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Grab another cup of coffee or a glass of water. Lays up your shoes. Get outside. Uh, hope you're well, everyone. And I hope you enjoy this podcast. two special guests today joining me. I have Dr. Rainey Link. Um, I've known Rainey for almost a decade now. And, and Dr. Oh, yeah. Link is joining us today as inaugural nursing faculty and assistant professor at the Susan S. Morrison School of Nursing at the University of St. Thomas. And not only that, Rainey was named as Minnesota Nurse of the Year in education. So Rainey, thanks for joining us from Minnesota today. Oh, thanks so much for inviting me. Any opportunity to talk to you, Shanda, I love it. <laughs> well, right back at you. And when we talked about having this conversation together, I think I, I heard it on the phone. You ran across the hallway to a colleague in the Department of Social Work, and uh, Dr. Andy Nesmith is joining us today. Um, Dr. Andy Nesmith is an associate professor and School of Social Work director at the same institution, so the University of St. Thomas in the Morrison Family College of Health, and Andy is a distinguished Fulbright scholar. So, Andy, thanks for answering Rainey's call and for joining me today on the pod. Well, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And it's not often that I, I get the chance to, of course, talk with a, a fellow nurse, but also a member of the interdisciplinary health profession. So I'm super excited for all three of us to dig into climate and environmental justice and what that means for our future health professionals. So Thanks again, and let's go there. So, so Rainey, I know you as somebody who has spent a lot of time um, developing your philosophy around diversity in nursing. Um, we talked a little bit about that intersectionality of of equity and climate justice. And I'd love to just get your philosophy as a nursing professor. Um, what does it mean for you when you think about th that intersection of diversity and climate or environmental work? Well, you know, one of the things is, uh, for those of you who don't know, we graduated um, with the same doctorate in health education and in uh, health leader. Health leadership, <laughs> health innovation and leadership. Yes, it made a great impact. Um, so <laughs> we were exposed to planetary health in there. And, you know, when I look at that model and it talks about the interconnection with nature and it talks about equity and social justice, systems thinking and complexity, movement building, systems change, you know, all of it comes together when we think about what's going on with, you know, our mother earth and, if we're not taking care of each other and we're not taking care of this planet, 
Um, you know, we historically as nurses have had a very individualized focus. And I think that's something that um, Andy and my colleagues in social work have been ahead of the curve on us as seeing people within systems and, and deeply, uh, profoundly affected by them. And I think nursing is, we're, we're coming along, you know. Um, our model here at uh, the Susan S. Morrison uh, School of Nursing is the integrative nursing principles. And one of our, the first principle is human beings are whole systems inseparable from and influenced by environments. And another principle is nature has healing and restorative properties that contribute to health and well-being. So, you know, you and I were at a conference together and there was somebody who was talking, she was going to her nursing course and they were covering pulmonary. And, um, and she said, there's wildfires, the air quality is bad. You know, she gets inside the building and of course, you know, it's coming through the air conditioning vents and they have this whole several hour, you know, thing on pulmonary and no one, no one talks about what's happening outside the window, what's coming through the vents. And I think this is the thing, we are all so overwhelmed, we don't even know where to begin. And I think part of where we begin is interprofessionally. And I, when I came here to St. Thomas, I am part of the Morrison Family College of Health, and there is a strong interprofessional focus here, and also a focus on social ingenuity and innovation. I just love that. And so one of the things that we're doing here is how do we work together? And so as I'm, you know, working on the climate change, I'm making others aware, and then I find out Andy is the lead author on an extraordinary book. And so I was thinking about this interprofessional focus. If we're gonna change the system, we gotta to work together. We gotta to get out of our silos. And so that was one of the reasons that I, you know, ran across the hall and uh, I brought candy. I did, I brought candy <laughs> and, uh, and said, I like, <laughs> and I said, oh, you've gotta do this podcast with me because it's only by putting our brains together. And, and also I think there's a special role for nursing education. Um, you know, we're setting the tone in our foundations course, we're saying, what is the meta paradigm of nursing? What does nursing mean? What does a patient mean? Is it a person? Is it a family? Is it a community? Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and then what is health? You know, and so part of what we, we have a whole week in our foundations program here at the Susan S. Morrison uh, School of Nursing that's just on planetary health and understanding that it is an integral part of our nursing practice. Oh, Rainey, I, I love that. I love that. And for folks listening, um, the University of St. Thomas and this inaugural nursing program, your team reached out to the Nurses Climate Challenge before you even had students. This is the first semester you have students, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Four weeks ago. <laughs> so a long time, you know, months and months and months ago, he reached out and said, we want to integrate climate. We want to integrate planetary health. Help us do that. And, and so your institution, your school of nursing, like you say, foundationally is built on this concept of, of integration and systems thinking rather than coming from the backside and pulling that into the curriculum in, you know, several years down the road. So I, I'm really inspired by the way that you've done this. Uh, and right off the bat are, you know, you're pulling in interdisciplinary health professions. So, so let's go to the social work side a little bit. 
Andy, now that you're maybe munching on the candy that, that Rainy has lured you <laughs> to this podcast with. Um, but, you know, Rainy referenced Reference the title of, of this book that I've spent a little bit of time with heading into our conversation. Um, so first of all, the title is, it, it like gives me goosebumps, The Intersection of Environmental Justice, Climate Change, Community, and the Ecology of Life. So tell us a little bit. I mean, that, uh, that sounds like a, a, a book title that is about every single thing on this entire planet. Help us understand a little bit what came to be for you to pull together a, a, a tome like this. Tell us is about how you came here. Mic drop. I mean, yeah. you just <laughs> nailed the intersections there. <laughs> well, let me first, I, I really feel like I need to give credit to the uh, the seven other authors that were on this. We are a group that has been working together as part of our accrediting body. We are uh, in a committee of the Council on um, uh, Council on Social Work Education. And um, so it was everybody pulling this together. But, you know, the big thing is it is that intersection. It's not just interprofessional, it's inner everything. And this ecology of life piece, I think, is, is really critical that we sometimes leave off of it. You know, in social work, we are, uh, not everybody knows this, because of how we are seen sometimes on TV and that, that we're the ones taking the kid away, but we're really about social justice. That is part and parcel to what we are as a profession and systems theory, absolutely. This is why it's such a good fit. Um, systems theory is huge and we've talked forever about, uh, we call it um, human behavior in the social environment. Most of our, our schools have classes on this and we talk about humans in their interactions with other people. But we really need to expand that to humans also in the natural environment. Because part of what we're doing is we say, we can't look at this individual who seems maybe stressed out and they have some sort of cardiac disorder and they're not managing their diabetes. Well, normally what we'd say is what else is going on in their interpersonal life that might be adding strain. That's a classic social work thing to do. And then you say, well, what's happening in their community? Well, this is a, this is a family that lives in a, a trailer park and they don't have clean water. This actually came up in one of my studies. They, they only had a spigot and that spigot had arsenic in the water by the way, it does occur naturally, but it has to be taken care of. And then you say, what's happening at this macro level? Because for social workers, we are, um, we are charged with not just fixing things downstream, but going upstream. And so this macro level has to include the environment. It has to include policy. It has to be, you know, not just how can we help somebody who's got COVID and they're not getting the kind of treatment they need, but why do they have more diabetes in this particular group of people than others? So all of these injustices we look at further upstream. And uh, I have a, a chat, not in this book, but a book chapter that's just coming out that I'm really diving into. We have to look at how we view nature. We have to look at how we as humans, are we going to try to dominate nature or do we recognize that everything that we do to nature comes back to us? It comes back and has an influence on us. And we are as much, a, there is really not any us and nature. There's just nature, really, truly, mm -hmm. right? Yep. <laughs> it makes it harder to talk about, but yeah. So, so Andy, where could we find this article? <laughs> I did give you? a, I did give a, uh, <laughs> A link to Shanda. Thank you for the phone. But it is the thing that's different in that, and I'll and then I'll stop going on. That I that, that I don't dive into quite as much in this in this other book is 
this relationship that we have, this human behavior that we have when we find a group that we think that we can dominate. We, you know, our, our uh, colonial behavior where we go to another location and we take down the government or we try to control the people. We do that to the, the natural environment in those same spaces. And it is the same behavior. So the behaviors that we're trying to do something about around racism, for example, those behaviors also describe how we treat nature. This is about exploitation or domination when we talk about nature. And that has gotten us nowhere good. That's gotten us to COVID yeah. <laughs> to take us down that path. Yeah. And, and to use that language, you, and when you say domination, when you say colonialism, like that triggers an innate response, I think, in, in a lot of people. Those are words with negative connotations for really important reasons. And when we associate that with our relationship with nature, it hits in a different way. And I think calling attention to what we're doing um, is is really part of the first step. I, I want to pull on, on a thread that you brought up here. Um, you know, you referenced a certain environment, maybe a trailer park. I, I grew up in a trailer home for the first few years of my of my childhood. Um, that might resonate with folks. Or if we talk about some of the racial injustices, people experiencing inequitable um, and disproportionate effects from some of these environmental um, tragedies. Let's, let's get into a little bit this aspect of justice. And I know that this is a topic that is still very much on the front edge, I think in, in terms of nursing curriculum, this isn't really something that is brought in, even within the context of our AACN essentials. You know, we get to climate change a little bit, but the, the institutions that are teaching climate justice, I think about the University of Wisconsin, the University of Minnesota a little bit. Tell us what you're doing here at that intersection at the University of St. Thomas. What does that look like, both in the nursing and the social work side? Well, one of the things that we're starting off with is um, we reached out to you in, in uh, the climate challenge and we committed to that. And we're looking at this, God save us from another guest lecture. You know, God save us. I mean, really like, oh, okay, they came in and talked about this for an hour and I'll never hear it again. So really how important was it? And so we were from the start looking at the extraordinary resources that you provide. And what I've appreciated about you guys is it's not a, a controlling thing. You're like, here's a wide array of things that we've already built. We know how busy you are. And so we can just go in there and it's just a, a smorgasbord. I'm like, all right, I'm, let's sit down at the buffet. And, and you know, there's short things, there's longer things, but we are really talking about how do we not make these one-offs? You know, how do we incorporate this through? Another thing is we have a real strong interprofessional focus. And so um, there is an upcoming uh, 2022 Planetary Health Annual Meeting. It's interprofessional and it's occurring uh, on the Harvard Medical School campus in Boston. And so we found out um, that they, students could go virtually for free. So we have actually created an assignment. So um, in just a few short weeks, our students will attend at least one plenary and at least one keynote. I'm sorry, one breakout session and one plenary and um, and then write about it. And so we're actually asking them 
in the assignment, it's a reflection of planetary health. And we, the assignment aims to explore how climate health, advocacy, and interdisciplinary collaboration intersect by attending this conference. And, you know, I just really love, and in our objectives, it's discuss key concepts related to social and environmental justice. Um, and articulate the role of interdisciplinary collaboration in environmental justice. And so we're really excited. This is their first semester. This is like the second month of their first semester. And we're saying this is just as important as you understanding, you know, how do we define health? How do we define our clients from a person to a family to a community to also thinking about global? And I think it's easy for us to get in our silos and it's easy to get overwhelmed for all of us. And I think when we really join hands, you know, we can see things and social work can see things that we don't see. And then all of us working together. Um, one of the things that we're excited about here at the University of St. Thomas, we have a law school. And so um, Minnesota has some pretty robust, um, healthcare legal partnerships. And we are exploring how can we partner with lawyers as well? Because, you know, we know how many times uh, the kid that comes into the ED with an asthma exacerbation because the apartment they're in has black mold. And so what do we do? We, you know, give them a, a drug to get them through the exacerbation, knowing they're gonna be back in a few weeks. And so when you start partnering with a lawyer who could just do the simple things to make the landlord aware of their responsibilities, that's the moving upstream that Andy was talking about. And we've, we've got to look at that because we need to make a difference and we're not making a difference by giving another pill. Um, we're not making a difference by saying, gee, that's a shame. You know, we make a difference. One of the things that I love about the social work department here, um, many of the faculty say voting is social work. And, Ooh. you know, I'm thinking we need to uh, follow their lead and, and think of voting is nursing. If we're talking about systems change and the first thing we've got to do is just get informed. But um, I'm just excited to be at this place at this time, connected, connected to you, connected to Andy and connected to others who are just really making the change, the changes that we have to do. I have to say, if you haven't heard of, of voter, vote ER, have you heard of that? And no. it's literally, a, there's an interesting article about a doctor who was just realizing that one of the best things he could do for his patients was to help them get uh, registered to vote because we know that um, when people vote, uh, more community, larger shares of communities vote, that their interests are better served by their representatives. So, and it also makes you feel like you're, it's good for your mental health, makes you feel like you're part of doing your civic, civic duty. That's right. I've got to track that down. Yeah, Andy, thank you. Um, well, and, and Rainey, you shared a very explicit, timely example that that Planetary Health Alliance annual meeting um, talked a bit about how climate and climate justice, environmental justice more broadly shows up in your curricula. Can I pitch you the same question, Andy? How how does the School of Social Work embody basically this this integration of planetary health and and whole person um, 
care and whole person understanding into the social work department? That is an excellent question and something I've been working on for probably the last 12 years. I will say that in my role as a, I've been for the last several years, the chair of this committee on environmental justice through our accrediting body. And one of the things that our group worked really hard on, and not just me, I have to emphasize that, it was a whole group of people, was to change our, our core competencies uh, to include environmental justice. And that was one of the things that I was the most excited about is that now we have these nine core competencies and within them, two of them embed specifically that we have to, every, uh, every school that is um, accredited in the US for social work has to address environmental justice in their curriculum. Uh, the problem that I think we have, honestly, uh, nationally, is that a lot of people don't feel like they have enough information. They don't feel as, um, they don't feel as prepared as they probably would like to be to be able to teach it. And that's one of the things that I want to see change. Um, I would actually love something like this, you know, the planetary health thing aimed at, at social work, because we need more resources. Uh, and I did I'm really not trying to put in a plug for everything, but I did put up a, a curricular guide link. It's free for environmental justice in social work. I was part of that project, also one of many, many people. Um, but the way I incorporate it in every single course that I teach, and I encourage others to do as well, we have lots of examples, but everybody does it a little bit differently. So for example, um, when I teach research, and I'm giving that example because people are like, what does this have to do with research? I give a classic situation in which a social work student might have to collect data, which is often in needs assessments. That's one of the most common ways that we that they will engage in research. So I give them scenarios of current, ongoing uh, environmental crises. All right, you are in Puerto Rico. You need to figure out right now, social workers on the ground, what are you going to do? And they're like, we're going to email everybody. I'm like, really? Because they don't have any power. So, and then they have to come up with plan B and then try to figure out like, this is a real situation. What does this community need? And really important as part of this, and this is important to social work, especially, um, and probably nursing too, is this whole self-determination. You can't just go in there and change. Right. You've got to figure out what strengths do this community already have and how can you help uh, support activation of that? So we try to integrate it in uh, with the strengths perspective. We try to find different ways to think about how this will intersect with social work. Um, my trailer park example is not unusual. When we see our clients, the chances of them having health issues, very high, which yeah. is why working with nursing and some of those health issues being a justice issue, the black mold classic example as something absolutely a social worker would do. They'd be the person connecting them to a lawyer and then finding out what the policies are and where they can go and what the resources are. Um, and I think we still have a long way to go. So we right now, I'm trying to launch this year a program where we are going to, to really take this up a notch and offer, I'm hoping this is not all in, in place yet, but some stipends to students who either want to study this issue or bring in some of their own knowledge. And I also really want to tap into um, indigenous ways of knowing. I feel like I have to say that in this podcast that we don't have to reinvent the wheel. There are many communities who have lived sustainably for a long, long time and already know good practices that work. We just need to stop talking and listen for a few minutes, which is not always our biggest strength, just <laughs> humans in general. So um, that's probably a mouthful, but um, lots of ways. 
uh, I do make us, our students when they're doing when they're looking at their systems think about the environment and how that plays a role and how they interact with the environment. Uh, we do lots of different exercises around that as well. Mm. Thank you for bringing up the indigenous ways of of knowing as well. Um, so, oh please, yeah, let's go. Well, we uh, again one of the things that we did before we even had our first student is we reached out to uh, Dr. Lisa Martin, uh, former past president of a large uh, Native American, um, Alaskan Indian uh, group of nurses for that organization. And she actually came and did um, a series of meetings with us, five meetings on indigenization of the curriculum and talking about, you know, that braiding, that weaving together um, of things so that things are separate, but we, we bring them together and we weave to see connections, understanding they're still separate. We talked a lot about, uh, she educated us about two-eyed seeing, that we can see from whatever our lens is that we begin with. And so, you know, um, that could be a Western perspective, but we, for someone who grows up indigenous in a Western uh, society, they can be using the lens of the indigenous and it doesn't make one better than the other, but we can look more clearly when we have that kind of binocular vision. And, and you know, we, I have up on my door, um, the principles of indigenous teaching, um, talking about the importance of place. And I think that's something that I've really learned and that we're incorporating one, I mean, here's just one way we're doing it. In our foundations course, we took something from that class and the teacher, uh, Berlin Pierre-Louis, she actually had them introduce themselves by saying, what is a place that is central to you? And talk about that. And that's not typically a way that we introduce ourselves, but, but also it's indigenous, but it's also thinking about this place that we live in, this, this home that we have. And so in, in many big and small ways, um, it, it's just, it's these intersections pulling it all together that we're trying to do. And so, you know, I'm big on, I mentioned earlier, the six principles of integrative nursing. I talked about here at the Morrison Family College of Health, we have a real emphasis on social ingenuity and innovation and interprofessional work. Um, I talked about being part of the climate challenge we're really trying to be that intersectional place and letting those things kind of play together and inform one another. And then suddenly we find a different way than we've ever done in just how the first week of class, how students introduce themselves. And I also really appreciate, and I think about this a lot, is indigenous first people learning is very much about generations. You know, investing in the next generation, honoring the next generation, carrying forward that wisdom. And we're really opening ourselves to how we can do that here at the Susan S. Morrison College of Nursing. Oh, that's lovely. I, you know, I, Rainey, I know that you have background in mental health nursing as well. And one thing that has come to mind as the two of you have been talking about place um, is this concept of solastalgia. Is that a is that a term that you've encountered, Andy? I, I haven't, but I'm excited to learn more about it. Mm, okay. So it's not specifically related to climate, but but just the environment more broadly. This idea of the sense of loss, the personal sense of loss, when there's dissociation between us and a place. So if we think about that, let's, let's take the example of 
Hurricane Ian. So here we are, um, October 3rd, 2022, and Hurricane Ian just devastated uh, Cuba, portion, other portions of the Caribbean, and a lot of the southwest coast of Florida and, and on throughout the state and parts of the United States. And the folks who were in the path of that storm could perhaps be experiencing, in addition to a very laundry list of mental health impacts from whatever trauma they're encountering from that actual hurricane, but also solastalgia, a loss of sense of place. Even if they don't lose their home per se, what it looks like outside their window probably is completely different than what it was a week ago. What their neighborhood looks like, what their favorite beach or favorite park might look like is totally changed. Um, another example might be, I, I, you know, I'm native to Minnesota. I think about um, the mining communities in the northern part of the state whose, um, you know, whose entire landscape has shifted in some cases. So that that idea of solastalgia is one's loss of that relationship or that sense of, of place. Um, there are some other terms that have come up. Think about climate anxiety, um, or eco-anxiety, this intersection of mental health and environmental impacts is really, really growing. And it's growing in attention. It's even growing in um, professionalization. Um, the American Psychological Association came out with a guide to help folks um, who are experiencing these emotional and, and mental health impacts from, from really the, our changing climate. And when we talk about health impacts of climate change, whether that's from the nursing or like from the social work perspective, you got to think like the mental health challenges are probably the most commonly experienced um, across our across our population. I, I don't know if that brings up any thoughts for the two of you, but both of us, yeah. yeah. I would say yeah. they're extraordinary and talk about interprofessional. We also have graduate uh, psychology in our uh, Morrison Family College of Health. And one of the places I've been trying to link with them is on solastalgia, climate grief, climate anxiety, um, those kinds of things that you're talking about. Um, and we also know on the flip side that, and, and Rainey already alluded to this, that being out in nature, that there is there is health and well-being embedded in nature. We know this, it's measurable, spending time outside. I mean, there's the sun itself and daylight, but just being in a space of nature, which ties to sense of place. You touched on so many things and we could talk about this for an hour. Um, one of the things that I um, think that we need to engage in more, and it, and it comes down to this whole, we have this anthropophobic, anthropocentric viewpoint, this human-centered viewpoint. And I'm my ups, upstream solution in part is to be more ecocentric. And part of being more ecocentric, thinking about the environment, is to be paying attention to place, as Randy was saying. When you're thinking about yourself, you are in a place, is to be noticing what is around you. Um, a classic indigenous uh, approach to before I cut down a tree, I'm going to acknowledge that this tree is a living thing. I will thank it for its life. Uh, white, you know, uh, Western culture doesn't do that so much. So being able to, um, to pay attention to that, and I call it radical empathy. I know that radical empathy to some degree has been used just in regard to um, issues of racism, but honestly, when you think about isms against the, the other beings that don't look like us, the further away they are from how they look like us, the less we care, the less empathy we have. So an exercise I have students do is 
picture yourself as it, it, be this tree, think about this tree, feel its roots. What is it? What is it? What do you think if it could have thoughts, what thoughts it would be having? Is it, is it then isolated from all of its other trees? Because we know that trees communicate. We know they have social groups uh, underneath the ground with um, fungi and with their, with their own roots. Now, what is this true? What are the things that makes this tree feel joy? And what are the things that might make this tree feel sadness? but have a connection to another living thing that brings us life, right? Because what do trees give? They give oxygen, the air that we breathe. Um, so that's just one exercise in thinking about that. Something that's, this is very poignant to me because we have a student right now in our college whose parents, um, she grew up in that Fort Myers area and so when she contacted me, you know, the priority was getting her parents out safely. But she sent me a picture of her neighborhood and she said, it's gone. It's just gone. And so, you know, they're sorting things out and figuring things out. And as things have emerged, there was a moment of hope that uh, came through. One of her favorite trees was an avocado tree. And even after Ian, it's still there. And it still has some avocados on it. Wow. And I think it's important, you know, to remember nature's resilience. And because, you know, we have some big fights and sometimes we don't win. Uh, like when we left the Paris Accord. But, you know, you keep in the fight and circles back around. And then maybe, you know, you get another chance. and You get to make some changes. But just to think about the resilience of nature inspires me to be resilient in this fight because I think, I mean, ladies, let's, and all the people who are listening, aren't you a little tired of, well, that's so great. You're passionate about the environment. Yes. And I think part of that comes from what you said, Andy, which is they just don't know. They don't know where to begin. I, I've got a million demands in American society and other, other places um, around the world you know, family commitments, work commitments, health, you know, all the different things. And they're like, I don't have time to research it. And then there's so much misinformation out there. And so I think that's why I feel so strongly about rooting this in your educational experience. We have a saying in the South, if I don't talk about something, if I don't bring it up, then it's no count. And I think about that a lot. It's no count, doesn't matter. If it mattered, we'd bring it up, wouldn't we? And so, the environment's no count in our, our healthcare, and yet it's everything. Yeah. Where do our medicines come from? Where do, where do people live? The pollution, the, the cancer clusters. I mean, but we never talk about it because it's too big and we don't even know where, we, where to begin. And so, you know, to tell you, we are four weeks into our, our first cohort and, you know, we're still forming our curriculum and I don't have all the answers yet, but in partnership, shoulder to shoulder, with expiring, inspiring colleagues like you. And um, we're, we're gonna figure this out together one step at a time. And some of the movements aren't as large as we might hope they might be, but if we can get our students to have the vocabulary and it's just part of their understanding of health and well-being is inseparable from what's going on in the environment, then we have accomplished something, you know? We really have. I can I can count on you to turn us in that direction, Rainy. From yeah, from that tough conversation to 
your vision. Yeah. Radical transformation. I also, I'm still thinking about that avocado tree that was in your student's uh, family's yard. And I also just thought, what is the experience of that avocado tree? Um, That's another way of, of thinking. So Maybe I'll Andy see if is. I can re- if that student could get a picture of that. And I, put it yeah. Oh, that'd be beautiful. That'd be beautiful. Please I'll do. Today. Uh, awesome. So, so Andy, for the last word, I'd love to just pitch the same question to you. What's what's your vision? What space for hope is there for us? I think that first of all, we need all hands on deck. Absolutely, every last person has something to contribute to making this better. Um, If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem, I think fits really well in there. We need everybody on board. And honestly, our younger people, they don't have any choice. You know, our students, our high school students, they care about this. And so the the interest is there. They're trying to find their voice. So one thing that that I really try to emphasize to our students is also um, in that macro, have you ever considered running for office? Have you ever considered calling your senator? Get involved. Get involved in doing something that will make a difference. I think that we will, uh, as humans, come around and finally take the drastic steps we need to. My concern is we'll wait until things are so bad that we have no choice, but we will because we won't have any choice. We absolutely will. There's, there's no question in my mind. Let's just make that sooner. Amen. Let's make that sooner. <laughs> Glory. <laughs> I think Some there church is, up in here. There's a lot of interest. Yeah, I think yeah. there's a lot of interest, but we really need to convince more people that it's it's uh, not time to, I always picture the Titanic going down and they're playing music and I picture somebody saying, let me order another cocktail. No, no, the, the, the ship has hit the iceberg. We're starting to sink. We need to get the lifeboats going and we need to make start doing some change, you know, some significant change. And I do think that there is the interest there now. We are seeing movement everywhere now. And and in nursing, what do we talk about all the time? Prevention. Prevention. Why do you know we've got more refugees on the planet today than at any other moment in world history? And it's just going to get worse because of environment changing and displacing people. And so why don't we act now? (laughs) As nurses, this is where we do that prevention work, you know, educate and promote health and promote better ways of being. And so, you know, that's, that's our goal. That's what we're trying to do. And you're doing it every day and, and preventative health is climate mitigation. Healthier people need fewer resources to stay healthy. Um, and, and so we can come at this work from, from so many angles. Um, well, Dr. Rainey Link, Dr. Andy Nesmith, thank you both, not only for this time today, but the work that you put in day in and day out to prepare the next generation of climate smart health leaders. You're inspiring us all. And I'm incredibly grateful to have learned a little bit more about what drives you and and what's coming next out of the University of St. Thomas. Yeah. So thank you both. Thank Thank you. you. an interesting conversation with Drs. Lincoln Nesmith. It affirms the importance of talking about climate and health 
and nursing and other health professionals, as we try to do on this very podcast. Thank you all for listening, and please tune in for upcoming podcasts on the School of Nursing Commitment. Check us out at envirn.org, and please subscribe, comment, and share the podcast. Talk to you next time. Thank you.